Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of our guests, either uh, online or in person. Glad that you're, you're with us today. You'll notice in the foyer that uh, we have a display regarding a Vacation Bible School. It's going to be a wonderful event this coming summer, and Hope is uh, asking a lot of us to sign up to help her with that. Um, and so as you're leaving today, uh, take a look at that display. It's going to be a, a, just a wonderful uh, event. So uh, just take a look at that and love for you to help us with VBS uh, this year. I want to begin with a question. It's this. Can you remember the last time you had what might be called a life-changing conversation with someone? I have uh, up here a... Um, some of you probably know what this is. This is an album. Y'all remember we had record albums back in the day? Uh, I, I know that, that albums are starting to make a, a comeback, and a lot of uh, younger kids are interested these days in vinyl. Um, this past week, my sister and I headed up to where my dad lives. My dad's getting ready to move to uh, Arizona, and so uh, we were helping him uh, with going through boxes and taking a look at stuff. You know, he's not going to take everything with him to Arizona. And one of the things that I went through and saw were all of his old record albums. And uh, he gave some of those to me, any one that I wanted, actually. And I came across this particular album. And with this album, there's a story. Uh, this is a, a Tennessee Ernie Ford album. And I have this wonderful memory growing up of, of listening to this album with my dad. It's, it's of gospel hymns. Uh, you remember way back in the day, whenever we had these, these stereos, you know, these huge stereos, uh, we had this stereo and it, it took up most of our living room. It was the size of a small aircraft carrier. You know, it was this huge piece of furniture. And, and my dad and I would, uh, would play this, this album and the first song on this album is Abide With Me. I can still, if I think long, hard enough, I can still hear a Tennessee Ernie Ford's rich baritone voice coming through those speakers. My dad and I would, would sit on, on the floor near that big piece of furniture, that stereo on, as I remember, avocado green carpet. And we would, we would listen as, as we would hear Tennessee Ernie Ford's boy, voice wafting through those speakers. And we would sing with him. In fact, uh, that's really how I learned to sing. I sang with my dad as we sang with Tennessee Ernie Ford. And that very first song, Abide With Me, was such a, a, a beautiful song. And that, this leads to a conversation that for me was life-changing that I had with my dad. We sang this song many times, and my dad said to me, Kevin, he said, next Sunday morning, I would like for you to lead this song on Sunday morning in church. I said, me? L leading a song in front of all of those people? 25 people who would gather with us on that Sunday morning? You mean, you mean you want me to stand in front of that august crowd and lead a song? And my dad nodded his head, and we had a little more conversation, and my dad had a way of convincing me. And so that next Sunday morning, there I stood in front of that audience leading the song on this record album, Abide With Me. Now, that might not seem like a very big conversation. It wasn't a, a life-changing conversation for, for maybe my dad. My dad just was talking to his young son about the possibility of the next Sunday morning leading that song, and yet it was life-changing for me. 
it was life-changing for me because I doubt, I, I just doubt that I would be standing right here talking about the things I talk about every Sunday morning had it not been for that conversation and that invitation. And as a result of that conversation and that invitation, eventually I developed a sense of call and a sense of what I would do with the rest of my life. Now, if you think hard enough, you too can probably think about a conversation you had with someone that, that you would see became life-changing. Maybe it was a conversation you had with a dad or a mom or a grandfather or a grandmother. Or maybe it was a conversation you had with a spouse or, or it might have been a conversation you had with someone who you worked with or maybe someone you didn't even know. But as a result of that conversation, something happened, something transpired that would not have transpired. You see, what I want you to know is that conversations that we have with one another are so significant so important and and here's the thing i want you to i want you to, to know we'll put it on the board now you can dramatically influence another person for good through a spiritual conversation and that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few sunday mornings we're going to be going with jesus and watching and listening as jesus has these amazing conversations with people all through scripture and we're going to see how these conversations can impact us, but also we're going to learn how that we too might take a step of faith and we might be able to learn how to have some very intentional and meaningful spiritual conversations with people that God puts in our path. And so in this message series that we begin today, we're going to talk about how Jesus has conversations with the very religious. We'll see that conversation today. And then next Sunday morning, we're going to see how that Jesus has a conversation with someone who is not so, not so religious. And the contrast between the passage we're going to look at today, John 3, and the passage we'll look at next Sunday morning, John 4, the, the contrast could not be more stark. In fact, I think John wants us to see the contrast. This Sunday morning, we're listening as, a, as he speaks with a man who came to him. Next Sunday morning, we're going to watch as Jesus has a conversation with this woman that he went to. We'll see next this week that he's talking to a very, we would might call spiritual person. And in John 4, we're going to be introduced to a woman who's in a very dark place. We're going to listen as Jesus has a conversation with someone who struggles with doubt. And it's amazing. When Jesus talks with this person, he doesn't chastise him or talk down to him. He listens carefully and he walks with this person with his doubts to a place of faith. We're going to listen in on a conversation Jesus has with someone who was born blind. And somewhere along the way, this person believed, well, I must have done something wrong. And Jesus will debunk that horrible theology and help him to see it wasn't that his mom and dad were involved in sin or he in, was involved in some sort of sin. And he helps us to understand and see that, that God can be glorified through, through our lives. We'll watch as Jesus has conversation with this very wealthy person who is, who is a tax collector, someone who's despised by people during the day and Jesus has this amazing spiritual conversation and it changes Zacchaeus's life over and over in scripture we see Jesus having these amazing conversations and the exciting thing is he calls you and he calls me 
to open ourselves to the possibility of having a conversation. And as a result of that, we too can make a difference in people's lives. And so today we come to John chapter 3 and this story of a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, the first thing we learn about this person in John chapter 3 is that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now, if you read your Gospels closely, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Jesus is constantly kind of at odds, having conversations with these people known as Pharisees. He's often in conflict with them. The word Pharisee, you've heard me say before, means separated ones. That's how they saw themselves. They were elite. They were separate from. They were, in a sense, different from other people. Larry Osborne was a person who wrote a book called Accidental Pharisees. And Osborne says this about what a Pharisee is. He says, today, most of us We hear the word Pharisee, we immediately conjure up images of hypocritical, narrow-minded, puffed-up spiritual losers. But in Jesus' day, being called a Pharisee was considered a badge of honor. It was a compliment, not a slam. That's because first-century Pharisees excelled in everything that we look up to spiritually. They were zealous for God, completely committed to their faith, They were theologically astute, masters of the biblical text. They obeyed even the most obscure commands, and they even made extra rules just in case they were missing anything. Their embrace of spiritual disciplines was second to none. Yes, they could be a bit harsh and arrogant at times, but most of their contemporaries took it all in stride. After all, they had earned the right to boast and look down on everyone else because They were paying a price no one else was willing to pay. This is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. But as we read through John chapter 3, not only do we see that he was a Pharisee, there's something else we learn about him. He was a member, as the scripture says, of the Jewish ruling council. We wonder, what is that? That means he was a part of this group called the Sanhedrin. This was a very exclusive group. It it involved 71 people. There were 71 members of the Sanhedrin. These folks were the most powerful leaders in all of ancient Israel. They compromised a court of sorts. They, They functioned kind of like a supreme court, but even more. They conducted trials. They investigated heresies. They wrote laws. We learned something else about Nicodemus in verse 4, an inference. Nicodemus is a a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. But we also learn in verse 4 that Nicodemus was more than likely an older person. Now, in our world today, if you're young, that's what we long for and we respect and admire. We admire youth, the youth culture. But in the ancient world, older people were admired and respected. We assume they had a measure of wisdom and and knowledge since they lived a while on on the earth. And so imagine Nicodemus is a part of this group of 71, but he's maybe one of the older persons in that group, one of the maybe oldest 10 or 15. He's a senior member of this group. But we learn one other thing about Nicodemus that Jesus tells us down in verse 10. Jesus calls Nicodemus Israel's teacher. 
He's Israel's rabbi. Within the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus may have been the most theologically astute member of that group. And if he's the most theologically astute member of the Sanhedrin, he is the most theologically astute person in all of Israel. Think about Nicodemus, who he is. He's a, he's a Pharisee. He's one of the ruling council, one of the 72, a more elite group. He's one of the older ones, maybe one of the top five or ten, and he is Israel's teacher. That's Nicodemus. He's spiritual. He's buttoned down. He's well-respected. People know his name. He has a sense of authority. And the surprising thing in our story in John chapter 3 is that this man comes to Jesus. That's surprising. There's something about Jesus that he he had heard about or he'd learned that he he wants more of. There's, There's something inside of him maybe, that draws him to Jesus. And then we find that he comes to Jesus, John tells us, he comes to Jesus at night. And we wonder, why did he come at night? Some suggest he comes at night under the cloak of darkness, cover of darkness, because he doesn't know if he wants to be seen quite yet with this person who'd been so critical of the religious apparatus. You may recall in John chapter 2, just before this story, Jesus had, had cleansed the temple of the money changers. And so maybe he comes under the cover of darkness. He comes at night. Other people, a little more positive of Nicodemus, suggest, well, no, he comes to Jesus at night because he wants more of Jesus' time. Jesus is busy during the day. So is he. The sun goes down. It will give him an opportunity to have long conversations and learn from this man. Maybe that's what Jesus, maybe that's what Nicodemus is doing But I actually think there's something deeper. There's something else. There's something more as to why he comes at night. You see, all through John's gospel, John is constantly contrasting a light with darkness. He's constantly contrasting night and day. It's a theme in John's gospel. You're not five verses into John. You're in the prologue. In John chapter 1 and verse 5 where it reads, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John, you can't work at night, you stumble at night. Later on in the gospel, in chapter 13, when Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, he's washed their feet, they're enjoying the Passover meal. And then we have this line where it says, as soon as Judas had taken bread, he went out. And then John tells us, and it was night. There's more going on than just, it's nighttime and Judas leaves. Oh no, Judas has stepped into the darkness of betrayal. And then in John's gospel, when we come to the very end, in John chapter 20, it's Mary. You remember the story? Mary gets to the tomb first. And here's what John tells us. He says, she got there early while it was still dark. Oh, that's true, but at this point, Mary is still in darkness. She hasn't met the resurrected Jesus as of yet. And so now, here's this leader, this buttoned-down leader who seemed like he had everything going. He knows everything. He is well-respected among the people of God, and yet it says he comes to Jesus at night. 
Nicodemus is still in darkness. The story is bookended with the image of light and dark where it says he comes to Jesus at night and the last line in John 3 in this story, it says, whoever, Jesus says, whoever lives by truth comes into the light. And we wonder, will, John, will Nicodemus, will he come into the light? He may. We don't know right now. But for now, we know Nicodemus is still lurking in the shadows. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and it's Nicodemus who speaks first. Now, we would surmise that. We would understand that, right? Because Nicodemus is this leader. He's a part of the Jewish ruling council. He, he's used to folks standing in front of folks, and he's used to speaking first. This is who Nicodemus is. And so Nicodemus says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He heard about the things that Jesus was doing. Rabbi, we, we know, we know your teachers come from God because no one can do these signs. No one can, can perform these signs. Oh, no doubt Nicodemus had heard about uh, the wedding feast up over in, up in Canaan, Cana of Galilee. He'd heard about that social faux pas, how that, that during the middle of this, this community event, this wedding, they'd run out of wine. They heard how that Jesus took some stone jars and they poured water into those jars. And amazingly, when they dipped the chalice into that stone jar, there was wine. The best wine they'd ever tasted. They, they knew all about, he knew all about the signs, all about the things that were going on. No one could do this, he said, if God weren't with you. I know God is, is with you. The response of Jesus to Nicodemus' words is unexpected. It's, it's abrupt. Instead of Jesus joining Nicodemus in this train of thought, instead of Jesus talking about, about signs, Jesus moves the conversation to a deeper level. He doesn't want to just talk about signs. He doesn't want to just talk about himself. One of the things we learn about Jesus in this story and other stories we will read as we work through these amazing conversations Jesus has with people is that Jesus had this way of, of moving the conversation in a very intentional way deeper. Very intentionally, he would steer the conversation to things that are really important to these very meaningful conversations. He does that right here. He's not content to stay in the shallow end of the pool. I know some of us in this room, maybe, maybe all of us, at times we struggle with having spiritual conversations with people. Now we're pretty good about having casual conversations. We're pretty good about, hey, what, what do you think about the Braves? I think the Braves are do, they're pretty good this year. Cunha is doing great. We're pretty good about talking about our kids, talking about our families, talking about politics, talking about what's going on in our country, what's going on in our world. We're pretty good about having casual conversations. But the question is, how do we very intentionally have spiritual conversations with people? How do we have conversations that really matter, that are really significant? 
I'm not talking about coming across as, as overtly uh, religious or heavy-handed. I'm talking about very natural ways, like we see all through Jesus' ministry, having conversations. Let me show you how this happens. A casual conversation becomes a spiritual conversation when we simply ask, can I pray for you? And so you're having a conversation with your neighbor. You know her pretty well. And at one point she says, you know, I'm really, I'm just really struggling with my daughter. My, my daughter doesn't seem to have any friends. And you say, oh, wow. And then all you say in response is, can I, can I pray for you and can I pray for your daughter? Oh, would you? Oh, that'd be great. And then maybe a week or so later when you're talking with your friend, again, you say to her something like, how, how's your daughter? You know, I want you to know that I've been praying for her and I've been praying that she would find good people, good friends to come into our life. It's so simple. A casual conversation becomes a spiritual conversation when we simply ask, can I pray for you? What we want to talk about in this message series is about how we can learn to have spiritual conversations with people like we see Jesus doing and so here's Jesus he's standing in front of Nicodemus and I hear a sense of urgency and importance in how Jesus responds to Nicodemus now we understand Jesus has an advantage from all of us I mean Jesus is God coming to the flesh and we know that that Jesus knows what's going on in Nicodemus's heart I, I, I don't know what's going in your heart Jesus does this this story in John chapter 3 is set up with the very last verse in chapter 2 of, of John where it says of Jesus, he did not need any testimony about mankind. He knew what was in each person. So Jesus knows what's in Nicodemus' heart. He knows what he's struggling with. And then he, he says this to him. It sounds so abrupt. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Wow, it seems so abrupt. Notice, Jesus says, Nicodemus, again, here's Nicodemus, this buttoned-down spiritual leader, maybe the most prominent person in all of Israel. He says, Nicodemus, you can't see. Nicodemus is still in the dark. He's wandering around in the dark. He's wandering in the darkness of religion. He said, you can't even see the reign and rule of God, the work of God, the reign of God in our world. You can't see God unless you are born again. Nicodemus knows that proselytes in the Jewish faith were often called newly born children. And so Nicodemus is struggling with this just a little bit. And he said, so how can, how can someone be born when they're, when they're old? They can't enter into his mother's womb a second time, can they? He says, this seems impossible. You mean to tell me, someone like, like me, it's like I need to experience something brand new. I'm, I'm an older person. You mean I need to experience this, this new birth? I need to be born again, be born from above? It seems impossible. Nicodemus might have been thinking to himself, when I was born, I became part of the covenant people of God. Are you saying that's not sufficient? And then Jesus doubles down. And then he, he says this, very truly I tell you, you 
No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus wonders, how, how can this be? And then Jesus looks at him in verse 10. He says, Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher. Nicodemus more than likely had memorized the books we know as Genesis through Malachi. He, he had committed those books to memory. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the law backwards and forwards. And Jesus looks at him and says, you mean to tell me you don't know, you don't know what I'm talking about here? You don't know that prophecy? And in Ezekiel chapter 36, where Ezekiel was talking to the people of God, and he was saying that, that at, one, at some point, they're going to be filled with the Spirit. At some point, they're, they're going to, their old fleshly hearts are going to be pulled out and be given a brand new heart. You don't know about how that in Exodus 36, it uses the image of water and cleansing and how one day you're going to be cleansed. You don't get this, Nicodemus. We wonder, is Nicodemus, where, where is he spiritually right now? He's, he's not quite ready. He's, he's still lurking about in the shadows. For some of you in this room, this kind of conversation can be a life-changing conversation for you. I know I'm speaking to some people right now who have not experienced this new birth. I love that image the image of, of like being born. You know, when you have a little bitty baby, everything's fresh and new and wonderful. And on that little bitty baby's face, you see such, such joy. And it's like Jesus is saying, if you're going to see the kingdom or here, enter, enter the kingdom. It takes another step. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. I wonder, have you experienced that new birth? You might even be thinking to yourself, what, what do you mean? How, how do I experience this new birth? It's, it's when you place your faith in Jesus. You place your trust in the Lord. And at that point, you're born again. I like how Titus puts it. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, I, I hear allusions to John 3, as well as allusions to the, that Old Testament passage I alluded to, Ezekiel 36. Where Titus says, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done. See, that's, that's Nicodemus. Nicodemus had done a lot of righteous things. That might even be some of you in this room. Very religious people, buttoned-down people. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, notice, of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ our Lord, I want to tell you, having a conversation about this is the most important conversation you could ever have in your life. Every time I'm privileged to stand in that baptistry and baptize someone into Jesus, I will say similar things, but I will often say that decision you're making right now, and some of you can remember that moment when you embraced Jesus by faith and you were lowered down into the water and you came up out of the water full of the Holy Spirit. 
That moment and conversations that lead up to that moment, it's the most important conversation you will ever have in your life. That conversation should affect every other thing about your life. It should affect questions about your marriage and questions about your vocation and questions about how you spend your money and questions about what do you do with your time. It's the foundational issue. And I'm talking to some people, some of you who are hearing my voice right now. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you're older. Maybe you've shown up to church all your life. But you've never been born of the water and the spirit. If I can have that conversation with you today, I would love to. If an elder would love to, or any minister on this staff would love to as well. And so we wonder, we wonder, what becomes of Nicodemus? We read John 3, and, and Jesus tells him all this, has this conversation, kind of abrupt conversation. Do we ever hear about Nicodemus through the rest of the Bible, or maybe even in the Gospel of John? Do we hear about him anymore? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because we do. The next time we're introduced to Nicodemus is in John chapter 7. Jesus is creating quite a stir. The Sanhedrin is trying to figure out what they're going to do with Jesus. And so they send some people to go get Jesus, go arrest Jesus. But amazingly, these people who go to arrest Jesus, they, they have this conversation with him and they decide not to arrest him. And then they come back to the Sanhedrin, they come back to these leaders and tell them what has just happened. And so in verse 47 of John 7, it says, you mean he deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? That's a great question, isn't it? No, they said. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on him. And then verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing here is Nicodemus who sounds a lot like he's sticking up for Jesus. Shouldn't we at least talk to the man? Shouldn't we at least listen to him before we jump to all these conclusions? We've jumped to a lot of conclusions about Jesus. Maybe we should come to him and have a conversation with him face to face. We're introduced to Nicodemus one other time in the Gospel of John. Now we're in John chapter 19. Jesus has gone to a cross. He's died on the cross. He's breathed his last. His head slumps forward and he's dead. And in John chapter 19, we're introduced to another person, a person by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. We wonder, who's Joseph of Arimathea? We're introduced to him in verse 38. Joseph of Arimathea, interestingly, doesn't tell us in John's Gospel, but tells us in one of the other Gospels, that Joseph was also a member of the Sanhedrin. It says this, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Here's a member of the ruling of the Sanhedrin. He's a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who 
earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and the strips of linen. This one was in accordance with the burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. There was a garden tomb. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. That was Joseph of Arimathea's burial place, but they buried Jesus there. Here are two people, two members of the Sanhedrin. You may recall earlier in John chapter 3, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and said, we have, we, he says, uses the plural pronoun, we have, have heard about the things you were doing. Who's the we there? I think the we is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And now both of these secret disciples, they come out into the open. Everybody would have seen as they go to the cross. And they take the body of Jesus down. And Nicodemus brings an exorbitant amount of spices to lovingly anoint that body. Because they were disciples of Jesus. What does Nicodemus do? Comes out of the darkness into the light. Now he's a disciple of Jesus. He doesn't care, care who knows. Because he loved his Lord. I wonder about you today. Do you experience the new birth? Today, you could be born of the water and of the Spirit. And everything is made new. Like a brand new little baby. Sins are washed away. You experience cleansing. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart. And you get a brand new heart. A heart that's open and pliable and tender toward people and toward God. Today, you might need to have that life-changing conversation. We would love to talk to you about Jesus. Today, if you have a need we can help you with, come while we stand and sing this song of encouragement.